Okay, 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'm going to read from the first verse. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Okay, let's have a further word of prayer, shall we? And then we're going to come to this next part of the passage in 1 Kings 17. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word and the reality of it and the ability of it to transform our lives. We acknowledge before you this morning, Lord, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you that it, it brings that division that's necessary. And Lord, we just ask of you that you would shine your light into our hearts. You'd open our eyes to the truth of your word this morning. Please, would you not leave us to ourselves? We acknowledge our need of you. Every time we meet, we need you, Lord. And Father, we just acknowledge that need is right now. So we pray for your anointing upon us, speaking of your word and the hearing of your word. We pray that we would not be those that hear simply naturally, but we would hear with the anointing that comes from God. And that your spirit, if necessary, with force, would apply the word of God to our hearts. Where we're dull of hearing, oh God, unblock our ears that we may hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Deliver us, Lord, from interpreting your word according to the natural man. We acknowledge, Lord, that that's what we would do if we had the choice. We are praying, Lord, that you deliver us from our own hearts and that, Lord, in our renewed inner being, we would be functioning as by the Spirit of God concerning the interpreting of your word rightly. Lord, apply this scriptures to our hearts. We need you in these days. We acknowledge, Lord, that there is a famine of the word of God in our land. And we are praying for a recovery of the word of God amongst his people again. Lord, please revive us. Give us a love for the scriptures, Lord. Help us to pour over the word of God. Help us not to leave the Bible on the shelf, but to open it and meditate on it and feed on it. And realize, O oh Lord, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. O oh Lord, if we are to live, we need you to give us the bread. Please would you be merciful to each one of us. This morning, we pray that none of us would be passed by. Lord, in your mercy, anoint my speaking and all our hearing. We pray that you bind any attempts of the powers of darkness to sidetrack us from what you want to say to us this morning. Lord, we ask that this meeting, by your grace and in your mercy, would go into eternity. We pray for your help now and commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you remember yesterday, and just by way of introduction for those who are with us today for the first time, we were looking at the first verse of 1 Kings 17, and essentially the burden of my heart for these messages is that we learn how the Lord uses and works on his own servant in a day of God's judgment, in a day when God is, uh, had dried up the land in Israel and what he was doing with Elijah at such a time. I think you'll agree with me that we are in days where there's increasing handing over to lawlessness and godlessness on our streets and also our laws are rapidly departing from the word of God. Do you know it goes as far back as about 1917 when the government decided that the laws of our country do not have to be based on the word of God. As far back as 90, that's over 100 years ago. And we see the problems and the havoc that's caused when men depart from the word of God. And alas, 
though we find ourselves in such turmoil and there's so much trouble and anxiety and fear and confusion about, we will not turn to God. We will not come back to the word of God. Just shows you the nature of what's in our hearts unless we come under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Without the power of the Spirit of God, if we're left to our own hearts, we will shake our fist in God's face and we will say to him, we will not have you to reign over us. That's the nature of our hearts. And we see it everywhere. We see that there is so much rebellion against the things of God. We see it, dear friends, in the media. We see it in government. We see it just generally on the streets, don't we? We do not want the Lord to reign over us. Thank God. If you have a desire in your heart this morning for the Lord to reign over you, It is because the Lord has put that very desire in your heart. That's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. Let us not take for granted anything that the Lord has done in our hearts, but give him all the glory. For every desire toward him has been placed in our hearts by the grace of God. And it's a wonderful thing. But as I say, we see that we're in a time of judgment And it says within this passage that Elijah was called to go before King Ahab. And he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Except by my word. Now this, remember, is the result of Elijah being a man of prayer. Remember we said yesterday, before 1 Kings 17, we don't know anything about Elijah, but we know one thing. He had learnt to stand before the Lord, the God before whom I stand. And you read in James chapter 5, I think it's verse 17, about he was a man who prayed, and he prayed to God that it would not rain. And immediately within our hearts we think, that is a terrible thing to do, Elijah. But Elijah's more concerned with the glory being glorified amongst his people than it's, it, than it's the Lord's people's immediate happiness, if you see what I mean. So we need to be those who pray in the will of God and according to the leading of the Spirit of God. And Elijah was somebody who was learning to stand before God. And we ended with the desire, didn't we, that we wanted the Lord to do something in our hearts, that we learn to stand before him in a day of God's judgment, in a day where there's opposition and turmoil. Friends, it's going to be increasingly difficult in these days, to be somebody who truly is sold out for the things of God. It's going to be difficult in these days. You're going to become more and more unpopular with society. But there's something wonderful that happens to the child of God who comes under opposition and difficulty and hardship and there's much sorrow of heart. Remember, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the Lord will come and bring his consolations to your heart. It says in the Psalms, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your consolations delight my soul. There's a sweetness with God that you can can know as a result of being in his will yet persecuted in a way that you can't know in any other way. There's a sweetness with the Lord. There's a closeness with God. And when you know the consolation of the Lord in the midst of difficulty and hardship, there's nothing like it. And if you feel alone, remember the Lord is with you. John Wesley on his deathbed, the last thing he said was this, the best thing is God is with us. And then he went into the presence of the Lord. What a way to go. I think it's tremendous. The most important thing is to know that you're on the Lord's side. That's the most important thing. Don't worry about popularity with men or try and appease their opposition by means of compromise. It will not work. They will never be satisfied with an inch of compromise. 
An inch will lead to a metre, which ultimately will lead to a mile. If you go down that road, don't do it. Don't compromise. Be like Elijah. By the grace of God, set your heart in these days to stand with the Lord. Because, dear friends, in truth, there's more with us than is with them. The Lord of hosts is with us. Do you remember David said in Psalm 27, Though a whole army may encamp against me, in this I will be confident. How can you be confident, David? Because he knew the Lord was with him. It's the most important thing to know. Well, by the grace of God, Elijah stood his ground. And uh, he went to Ahab and brought this stinging word. But when he brought this word of judgment upon Ahab because of the idolatry and the apostasy of this king and his cohorts, the problem was for Elijah is that this judgment also came upon himself because he was in the same area. You see, if there's a drought on the land and Elijah's in the land, he's going to feel the effects as everybody else, isn't he? But Elijah, nonetheless, was more concerned with obeying the Lord than his own immediate comfort. And the most important thing for us from the human side of things is to obey the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you will never know the secret of spiritual happiness outside of obedience to the will of God. The key to true spiritual happiness is obedience to the will of God. And the word, the word of God actually says in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that to obey is even better than sacrifice. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. You might want to turn there just for a moment. This is important. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Oh, friends, brothers and sisters, we need to be those that learn to listen to the Lord. We live in an age where we have information coming to us the moment we're outside our front doors, left, right and centre. Something's trying to grab your attention, isn't it? And the Lord wants us to learn as the people of God to come aside and to listen to the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, are you a listener? Are you somebody who sets time to hear the voice of God? Or are you somebody who thinks, no, I need to serve the Lord? But you see, true service always comes out of listening. True service for God always comes out of what God requires you to do and not what you initiate out from yourself. Only that which is of God will last forever. Everything God does lasts forever, according to Ecclesiastes 3.14. But that which begins with us, no matter how well-meaning we may be in our attitude, it won't accomplish anything spiritually for now and certainly not for eternity. The Lord will not own that which does not begin with him. The word of... um, Sorry, Watchman Nee rather said... Origin determines destiny. That's a very good phrase. And I think it is biblical. The origin of something determines destiny. If you're just constantly rushing about, not learning to hear the Lord, you're sacrificing for the Lord, left, right and centre, but you're not spending time before the Lord, your service will be weak. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, we have the story of Mary and Martha And Martha's the one that welcomes the Lord Jesus into their home. But immediately we find that she is distracted by much serving. Both her and Mary were both women who sat before the Lord. But she was distracted with service. What was she doing? She was actually serving the Lord. She was rushing around the kitchen 
serving the Lord. And all of us would think, well, we applaud Martha because she's doing the job. Mary is just sitting there. How rude. That's really not being a good host, is it? But there's Martha and she's striving and she's working. And Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets irate about it and starts saying, you know, basically, this is too much for me. You know, tell Mary to help me out, Lord. She's almost commanded the Lord what the Lord should do with Mary. It's quite a, it's, it's almost a bit uh, funny when you look at the text. And the Lord has to quiet Martha down and say, Martha, Martha, you are troubled. You're anxious about many things. You're striving, you're straining, you're working. You're getting het up about many things. Listen, the Lord Jesus said, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. In other words, it's of eternal worth. What was she doing? She was listening. And out of her sitting would come her service. But you can't serve before you firstly learn to sit. And resign all efforts of your flesh and your natural zeal. Zeal without knowledge is not good. It's good to have zeal, but it's good to have zeal according to knowledge. Otherwise, you can run on zeal and adrenaline and you can find yourself doing the wrong thing. We can end up sacrificing everything for the Lord just so that we don't do what he wants us to. You can have everything, Lord. I'll do anything for you just as long as you don't touch this area of my life. And the necessity for each one of us is to not be anxious. And you know, sometimes the reason why We sacrifice to the Lord. It's because we're fearful he's going to require something of us that we want to keep. Is there not something deep down within our hearts of a distrust in having to hand certain things over to the Lord then? If we have that kind of attitude. If we're wanting to keep something from the Lord. Do we not trust him that if he does require that thing of us, that the result of handing that over to him will be greater blessing in our lives than had we held on to it in the first place. Are you with me? It's a matter of trust. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I don't know what your view of God is. I don't. But for some of us, we can be of a disposition where we, we believe the moment we enjoy something, the Lord's going to require it of us. We have a warped view of the Lord. On the other hand, we need to be careful to hold everything lightly. And we learn to actually entrust the Lord to better judgment than ourselves. Brothers and sisters, to obey is better than sacrifice. Has the Lord been requiring something of you? Is the Lord been touching Upon something in your life that's doubtful? Is there something that you're involved with that you know deep down you shouldn't be, but you have too much pleasure in the natural out of it? And you don't want to go to the Lord about it because you're fearful that He will require it of you. But as I've already said, brothers and sisters, if the Lord requires that thing of you, the blessing that you receive. For giving up something is far greater than had you held on to it in the first place. Whenever the Lord required something of me, and I have something in mind, and I've laid it down, I've always been so pleased that I did. And really it's unbelief to think that we will be better off with what the Lord requires of us than giving it over to him. 
May the Lord help us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Do you remember the exhortation in the book of Proverbs? My son, give me your heart. Give me your heart. I remember years ago being at Young Adults Prayer and Bible Weeks. And it was fascinating time because often what would happen is during these weeks, as young people, we would be challenged by the word of God. And you get to about Wednesday and Thursday and you could see it on some people's faces that they had to make a decision over whom they're going to serve. They had to make a decision whether they were going to go on with the Lord or they were going to go back to what they were before they came. Well, it's only the grace of God that can enable us to go on. But when we're in that situation, always ask the Lord for grace to go with him. And allow his spirit to win you to the will of God. So important. Well, back to 1 Kings chapter 17. The first thing we find then with Elijah is this matter of obedience. The first word Elijah is given from God is a word of judgment on Ahab and on the nation of Israel. Having fulfilled that word, the Lord then speaks graciously to his servant and gives him a word where he's going to prepare and provide for him all his necessities outside the area of Israel. So we go on to verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him. Isn't that a wonderful statement? You see, if you and I obey the Lord, there's blessings. Immediately Elijah's obeyed the Lord. He has the blessing of the word of the Lord coming to him. You know, some of us, we can chase around for the will of God and we're living godless lives. That's not the way we're to live. We're to live in obedience to God. And if we obey the word of God, we will begin to find the word of God coming to us. And I tell you, there's nothing more thrilling than that. When the Lord begins to speak to you when you least expect it or in some kind of glorious way. Or it might be a verse of scripture that suddenly impacts your life in a way that you've never known before. And you, dear friends, you begin to grow in your walk of faith. You see, the Lord doesn't tell Elijah everything that he's got to do and everything that's going to happen from the moment go. He takes him step by step. And that's the way the Lord is taking you. He's not going to unfold to you the whole will of his purpose for your life in one moment. He's going to take you step by step. Why? Because he is teaching you to live by faith. You see, if Elijah knew, well, the Lord's going to provide for me for the brook Cherith. I'm going to escape from King Ahab. I'm not going to die. He knew all these things before he went to Ahab in the first place. Then, well, he would have been happy, but he wouldn't have, the necessity of faith wouldn't have been there. But now Elijah has to rely on the Lord. And so he goes in faith. By the way, brothers and sisters, I don't know what your understanding of faith is. I think wherever you go in Christendom, in church today, there are all kinds of different views of what faith actually is. And it's quite a fearful thing because faith is a very basic thing. In one sense. As far as the understanding of doctrine goes, faith toward God is part of the elementary principles mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6. But so many people don't know what faith is. Some people think faith is risk-taking for Jesus. You ever heard of that? Risk-taking for Jesus. You've got to go out there by faith, and you by faith you've got to do this, and by faith you've got to do that. And so you try and pump up your own adrenaline, get the blood rushing, flex the muscles, and I'm going to say, right, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to take this country for the Lord because I've got faith that's not faith you say that's not faith yes I just said so (laughs) I said that's not faith it isn't not according to my bible that's that's called a different word we'll call that the doctrine of presumption 
It's got nothing to do with faith whatsoever. You've just got to name it. You've just got to claim it. No, you haven't. And all these things happen in the church of God. And then when people try and live by this kind of understanding of faith and they find it doesn't work, many become disillusioned. And so they fall away from the church. They go away. So what is faith then? Listen, faith isn't risk-taking. You say, it was risky for Elijah. It was risky for Elijah on one level, but it's not risk-taking. Faith is essentially responding in obedience to the revealed will of God. That's what it is. Because, dear friends, the word of God says, faith comes by hearing. So what have I got if I haven't heard? Presumption. Faith comes. Faith comes. The word of the Lord came to him. Faith comes by hearing the Lord coming to his servant, the Lord bringing the word. Haven't you had it, dear friends, where you're in a situation and suddenly some scripture, some verse that you hadn't even thought of suddenly comes to you. But with that verse comes an assurance concerning the situation. Somehow that word is applied to your heart that removes all fear and doubt and you know God has spoken to you. That is living faith. That is living faith. Faith is linked with obedience. Just look at Hebrews chapter 11 if you don't believe me. Not now. But just at some point, even today. If you're not sure about what I'm saying, go to Hebrews 11 and look down what it says, what people did by faith. You'll find obedience is in that chapter. So the Lord takes a step by step by step, one step at a time. And the Lord is wonderful, you know, friends, because actually if the Lord did show us everything before we began, for some of us, we wouldn't be able to take it. We would think, that, and the Lord is so gentle with the leading of his flock. Do you remember how even Jesus at one point when he was with his disciples said, there's many things that I'm longing to tell you, but you can't receive them yet. I think that's wonderful. Just the Lord wants to share certain things, but he realises his own flock are not ready, not able to receive it yet. So he withholds those things, even though he wants to bring them to them. That's the tenderness of the Lord. The Lord will never give you more than you can handle. Because when the Lord gives you something of an indication of his purpose for you, with that indication, with that word will come the grace, the strength, the power and the resources to be able to do everything that he requires of you. You remember we mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 2 yesterday that the Lord says to Ezekiel, stand to your feet. And so Ezekiel received the command from the Lord to stand to his feet. But then the word of God says, sorry, then Ezekiel said in the word, the spirit entered me and put me on my feet. Whatever the Lord commands of you, he gives the power to do. He will enable you to carry what he gives you. But he doesn't want you to carry what he hasn't given to you. And when you're laden, heavy laden with a load of care, cast that care upon Jesus. And you receive his burden. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. You look at People like Paul the Apostle. You sort of think, how did they do what they did? How did they cope with the situations they were in? And Paul was able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he says, I I laboured more abundantly than all the others. But then he says, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God with me. The Lord will not ask you brothers and sisters, to carry another brothers and sisters' walk upon yourself. There is a sense in which at times we need to carry one another's burdens, but that's different. When you see another brother and sister in a particular way, the Lord's using them, perhaps in an unusual way, and it's requiring much of them, but the grace of God is with them. If you try in your own strengths, To repeat that person's ministry, I'll give you three days 
to cope with it. You know, you can read books like Reese Howe's Intercessor. And you can say, I want to be like that. And then you try it. Just try it. Be like Reese Howe's for three days. It won't be long before you will be thinking, this is hard work. This is heavy going. I didn't expect it like, to be like this. I thought it was going to be all glorious. But the Lord hasn't required you to be Reese Howe's. Or Watchman Nee. Or A.W. Pink. Or some other great servant of old. He's required you to be you in him. And nobody else can fulfill the will of God for your life. And you can't fulfill another person's will of God for their lives. You can't be them. Allow the Lord to take you at his pace. Elijah was walking with the Lord. This is part of walking with the Lord. Some of us, we can be believers that can be a little bit slow, a little bit, um, a little bit lazy, shall we say, even. I won't mention any names, honestly. But we can be those, some of us, that are a little bit, oh, it's such hard work to get into the word of God. And we're just a bit slow on the uptake. And the Lord's saying, come on, my son, my daughter, you should be further on. I'm, I'm here and you're behind me. You're walking with me, but at a distance. This isn't what I require of you at this time. Come up. Join me. Walk with me. Others of us were so zealous for the Lord, we will run the first hundred meters as quickly as we can, not realizing we're not in a sprint, but we're in a race that endures to the day that we die. We need the wisdom of God. Walk with the Lord. Allow him to put his yoke on you. This is one of the hardest things for us. Some of us will run ahead. Some of us will fall behind. Learn to walk with Jesus. Go his pace for your life. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But there'll be times when he requires things of you. Be obedient. Follow him. Elijah would never have got to verse 3 had he not been obedient in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to him, verse 3, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The Jordan in scriptures... speaks of something of death. And in this particular passage, he's to go east of the Jordan. There is almost like a realisation that there is a death that we go through. Even the Israelites had to go over the Jordan, didn't they? Through the Jordan. Many people think that going over the Jordan means actually into the promised land. That means heaven. But when the Israelites came over the Jordan, they didn't come into the land and have it easy. They had enemies to fight. Now, how many of you would like enemies to fight in heaven? Not many. The Jordan doesn't uh, speak of simply death into heaven. But that old way is being cut out, cut off. That's what it speaks of. It's interesting. It's mentioned here. But from the beginning of the verse, the Lord says to Elijah, depart from here. Depart from here. I wonder what Elijah would have wanted to do after he had the boldness to stand before the king. Wouldn't he have wanted to go throughout the whole land? Maybe he wanted to tell everybody. Turn away from Baal. Serve the living God. And the Lord, after he's just brought this word, tells him to go completely outside of the camp and away from the people. It would be later that the Lord would raise Elijah up to stand on Mount Carmel and face the prophets of Baal. But now was not the time. Do you know the time that the Lord is taking you through in your life? There may be time when the Lord will have you face certain things, but you may not be ready for them yet. 
This is why we need to walk humbly with the Lord. Elijah was to depart from there and the Lord was going to teach Elijah lessons by the brook Cherith. And one of the reasons I think he's told to go away is because he's to separate from what was going on in the land. Ahab was an apostate. He'd married Jezebel. There was idolatry and Baal worship all over the place. The people of God had been, by and large, sidelined. There were so few left, really. And all over the land there was idolatry and wickedness. And the Lord gets Elijah to separate from that. And actually, what is interesting is the word cherith, the brook cherith that is mentioned here, the Hebrew word means separation. That's what it actually means. Separation. And the Lord wants his servants to be separate from all that is apostate. Now I think this brings things very close to home. Do you not, brothers and sisters? We are living in a day where apostasy is in Christendom, in this country. It's within the last few months that the Methodist Church, in their main forum for meetings, they they met together and they decided that they would condone same-sex marriages in the Methodist churches. They've gone quicker than other denominations have gone into apostasy. This is wickedness. This is wickedness. And when you think where the Methodist movement began, under the ministry of John and Charles Wesley, see how far it's gone from where it started. Actually, John Wesley was very much concerned about holy living and basically being separate. And now that particular denomination is handed over to that. They voted along the lines of something of 200 odd votes in favour of it to only 46 who voted against it. There's an exposing going on. This is evil. We should call these things for what they are. They are wicked. And to condone these things and have ceremonies in the name of the Lord, in the house of God, is blasphemous. It's flying in the face of God. It shows that there is no fear or reverence for God when we vote in favour of such things. We need to make sure, brothers and sisters, that we are separated from what is polluted And what is apostate? Don't have anything to do with what isn't of God. We're to be those that live separate lives. And the difficulty is that this kind of mixture and carnality and worldliness has come right into the church, hasn't it? And we see so many given over to these godless practices. So few places where the word of God is given the place it needs to be amongst the people of God. So few places where there is concern for genuine and true worship of the living God. Where is the reverence and honour and praise that is due to God? The Lord says to the people of God in Malachi, a son honours his father. And a master, sorry, an owner, he honours his master. Where is my honour? And you have to ask that amongst the people of God, where is the honour of the Lord amongst his people? Where's the concern that the Lord is glorified? Where's the separation from the ways of the world within the church? Why is it that we are those that try the best we can to accommodate worldly practices within the church? It's because we esteem the praise of men greater than the praise of God. That's the only thing you can put 
do it. We fear man rather than God. And the word of God says the fear of man brings a snare. And it does. Brothers and sisters, do you, are you concerned for the reverence of the Lord's name? We need to be different, separated from what is godless. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 Ephesians 5 and verse 11. Let's read from verse 4. Ephesians 5 verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, I've been talking about idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. Notice he doesn't say one time you were in darkness, but now you are in light. No, one time you were darkness, (laughs) and now you were light in the Lord. Wow. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now this is the verse, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Brothers and sisters, don't take part in it, don't participate in it. What fellowship has light with darkness? Don't go near there. Don't go near to the place of uncleanness and darkness and wickedness. It will try to suck you in. And so many young people have just found that there's been one particular time they've, they've slipped in the area of pornography and they're hooked. We need to run from all that is not of God. The word of God says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? There it is. What accord? What fellowship does it have? None. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? So does this mean you have to... Be like a hermit and sort of go and uh, we all become monks and nuns for the rest of our existence. Is that what? Is that what? No. We're, we have to be in the world, but we're certainly not to be of the world. We're not to touch the spirit of the age. We're not to allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. Be rather transformed by the renewing of your mind. And your mind is renewed when you're into the word of God. That's how you get a renewed mind. Your mind will not be renewed in the way it ought to be if you're not into the word of God as you ought to be. And the same for me. What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God... As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Elijah is sent out from the midst of the people of Israel. Isn't that a sadness? That that which should be the people of God, the prophet of God, the servant of God, is departed from that place. But he has to go out because of the uncleanness and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, the blessing is in the separating. 
And I'm not talking about being super spiritual, whereby you, the moment another believer says something that offends you, you separate from them because they've offended you and you think you're more superior to them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about separating from what's apostate, what's godless. But not only on that, let's look at it from a different angle. The servant of God that God is using, having been used of God, is now taken out the way. And dear friends, when you just have to look back over the last hundred years of this nation, and you see how many true servants of God the Lord has actually removed out of the way. It's as though the servants of God dies and nobody takes it to heart. But we are bereft in the nation now of spiritual leaders in the church. We are. We didn't used to be. We used to have many within the church. You have to go back to the 1800s and we could speak about people like J.C. Ryle or Charles Simeon or C.H. Spurgeon, any of these great names, Octavius Winslow, somebody that you probably never heard of, but he was a great preacher in his day. Other great men of God. There were many, many men of God in the land. Or you go back before then, go back to the Puritans, and there's a plethora of Puritans in the land preaching faithfully the word of God. We've had so many in the past. And even the missionary movement that went out from our shores to all over the world. And now look at us. We're bereft of leaders within the church. Think of even the last century. One of the last great Bible teachers that the Lord raised up in our land up to this day was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And there's a great move of God at Westminster Chapel in London. But where are these great leaders today? Sometimes there's a lack of leaders because it's a sign of God's displeasure. And there's a lack of hearing the word of the Lord. You read about that in the book of Amos. It's a sign of God's judgment. And God removes servants of God sometimes because of the apostasy. Well, Elijah had to go to the brook Cherith. Let's get back to this particular passage. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. Hide yourself. Isn't it interesting? First of all, the Lord tells him to go right before the king, and then the Lord tells him to hide himself. I don't believe the Lord is just telling Elijah to hide himself because of what Ahab might do to him, but rather because what the Lord is wanting to do with his servant. He's separating him unto himself. And so we read in these words that the Lord says to him, you shall drink, verse 4, from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Even in a day of God's judgment, the Lord is able to provide for his people. Even in a day when the Lord seems to be Opposed to much of what is going on in the land, the Lord yet is able to provide bread for those who are hungry. He knows where to take you. He knows where to lead you. He'll bring you to a place where you can feed on the word of God and drink from the brook. The Lord is not without his own resources for his people. He preserves them even in a day of his judgment. This is a tremendous thing. On one hand, we see God's displeasure and his anger against Ahab, an apostate in Israel. And on the other hand, we see God's mercy and grace and love over the servants of God. And this is something that we need to hold together in tension. If you're somebody who only what you see is the wrath of God in everything, you will become unbalanced. We need to realize that also God loves his people, does he not? He's died for us. He, he's purchased us with his own blood. And there is a sense as well that even though we may be in the same area, that there may be judgment in the land. Praise God at the same point that as believers, if we are truly born again of the Spirit of God, we are no longer destined for the wrath of God. 
You're not heading for the wrath of God if you've been born again of the Spirit of God. So many Christians live as though they're under a lot of fear and bondage because they're feeling that they, they're acting as though they're still under the wrath of God. But the Word of God makes it clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9 that the children of God are not destined for the judgment, uh, for the wrath of God. It's good to take that on board and to bear that in mind. Also says in the book of Romans and chapter 5, I believe it is, and round about verse 9, I think it's verse 9, says these words, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, from the wrath of God. This is really important to have that backdrop, to have that knowledge in your heart. The danger is if you have a wrong view of God, you're going to misinterpret the way he deals with you. We need to have everything in its right place. Does God discipline his children? You better believe it. <laughs> Sometimes he will discipline them very strongly. But the reason the Lord disciplines us strongly is because he's determined for us to go in the right direction and not the wrong one. That's the purpose of strong discipline with the Lord. The problem is with us, with our own children, sometimes it gets over into the flesh, doesn't it? And it's just mere frustration working its way out. But with the Lord, when he disciplines us strongly, firmly, he's robust in his discipline with us. But it's not because he hates us. He loves us. He has purchased us with his blood. You can see the difference between God's judgment on one hand and his mercy on the other. For example, in Isaiah chapter 26, don't need to turn to it, but if you want to make a note of it, please do. At the end of the chapter, the Lord says to his own people, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. What's the fury? We're just coming to it. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. The Lord's coming out to judgment. The Lord is a God of judgment. The Lord is a God of wrath. He will not allow the wicked to get away with sin. But then... Look at what it says in chapter 27, verse 1. Furthermore, indications of the Lord's dealing now with the powers of darkness. In that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Okay, so there's judgment here. Something over nations, judgment over something of the powers of darkness, I think that is inferred in the matter of the dragon. Then you get in verse 2. In that day, a pleasant vineyard. Notice in that day, same day that's been mentioned before about the Lord coming out in his fury. Verse 3. Verse 2. In that day, a pleasant vineyard. Sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. But you've just said, Lord, in the previous chapter that you have fury. But now you're saying you have no wrath. But you see, the context is different. He's now speaking about the work of his own planting. Are you the planting of the Lord this morning? then you're in a context where you're not under the wrath of God in the way that's mentioned previously in the verse 21 of the previous chapter. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. You see the importance, brothers and sisters, of right context. You, on one hand, God's wrath will come upon wickedness. After this, there is the judgment. And it's true, God will banish all wickedness from him. He will judge it. 
But for the child of God, who's in covenant with the Lord through the work of Calvary, is in a different place. Was Elijah in a different place to Ahab? Of course. Ahab was under God's judgment. But Elijah was still living in the land. Yes, but the Lord provides for Elijah in a way he doesn't for Ahab. Because Elijah is an obedient servant of the living God. Coming to an end, 1 Kings 17, back to the passage then. Bear these thoughts in mind as we go along the way. But if you are a true child of God and you are struggling with a spirit of fear, you're constantly living as though the judgment and wrath of God is around the corner over your life. Come back to the work of Calvary and see afresh by the grace of God the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus. And the fact that those who are under his blood are not under his wrath. Discipline, yes, but that is something other. We can look at that another time. Does God then not get angry with his people? Yes, but he doesn't bring them under the, that kind of wrath that he reserves for those who are in the world. But when we look at what Ahab's doing, we have real apostasy and real backsliding and real no desire for God whatsoever. It's a tragedy. The Lord removes his servant from the scene. So he goes to the brook Cherith and the Lord says that he is he can drink from this brook and the Lord has commanded the ravens to feed him there. The ravens were unclean birds. You look in the book of Leviticus. And the Lord brings these birds to provide bread for Elijah. What you have within this passage is the sovereignty of God. I have commanded. Isn't it an amazing thing? If you're living in covenant with the Lord this morning, the Lord has commanded your blessing. He provides for his own. It doesn't matter what the situation is in the world. He is able to provide the bread for you from his word. This is a marvellous thing. And the Lord provides for him. He sovereignly brings these ravens. It must have been an amazing sight. Then we go on to read in verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Here's another step of obedience. Here's another step of living faith. He went out... And lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. He didn't stay there a little while, decide whether he liked it or not. And then if he didn't like it, he was going to go back to Israel again and have another crack at Ahab. He doesn't do that, does he? Separation isn't a momentary thing. We're to go on separating from what is not of God. He lived in separation. We are to live separate lives, holy lives. Okay, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Isn't it wonderful? What a scene this is. Elijah's there. I think he must have enjoyed the peace a little. Nobody else was going to be by the brook Cherith. He's in the place of separation. The Lord's providing for him. He's giving bread and meat. Sometimes we speak of the meat of the word, don't we? Something strong, something really nourishing. The Lord is providing him the best. He doesn't even have to go to get his breakfast. The Lord brings breakfast to Elijah. Amazing. And he commands these ravens to bring it. But then something goes wrong, or seemingly. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Oh dear. Oh dear. The Lord tells Elijah to get to Cherith. He does everything the Lord says. And then after a while, the Lord allows the brook to dry up under the same elements that the people of Israel are in. Why does he do this? Surely Elijah's not under the wrath of God. Why has the Lord allowed this to happen? And the answer, I think, is this. 
there is a danger of you beginning to trust in the blessing of God rather than in the God of the blessing. And we must ask God to spare us from worshipping his blessings rather than himself. Are you somebody who is more concerned with the brook or more concerned with the saviour of the brook? If the blessings dry up, what will you do? Elijah could have misinterpreted what was going on here, couldn't he? He could have thought to himself, maybe the Lord's angry with me. Maybe I've done something wrong. How many of us often do this when the blessing seems to dry up? We're automatically assuming that the Lord's angry with us or against us. I've done it myself. So maybe it's only me. But there could be an, uh, 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 an assumption that this must mean that I've done something wrong because the Lord's dried up the blessing. Not necessarily. The Lord may be wanting to take you on from the place of that blessing to something else. And when it's dried up, when that blessing's dried up, maybe the Lord's taking you on to another place with himself. Do you remember the people of Israel circled Horeb, the mountain? That mountain meant dryness. And the Lord says to him, you've stayed at this mountain long enough. There's a moving on with the Lord. And it's as though the Lord actually allowed this dryness to move Elijah on. And we go on to hear about Zarephath a little bit later from verse 8, where the Lord says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. The Lord was well able to keep the brook going, don't you think? Is he not God? He allowed that brook to dry up. And he allowed even his servant to experience something of the elements that the apostates were under. But not because the Lord was judging Elijah. Rather because the Lord was dealing with Elijah. And he goes from Cherith to Zarephath. And Zarephath speaks of refining. The Lord refines those that are separated unto himself. And the heat gets turned up. If you're separated unto the Lord, the Lord will do a refining work in your life. Why? Because he's fitting you for glory. But it hurts. But he's more concerned with fitting you for glory. And the Lord will remove the impurities under the heat of your refining. But the Lord will bring you through to glory. This is the wonderful thing with the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, don't misinterpret what the Lord is doing in your life. I want to give you a quote from a man I just mentioned earlier, Octavius Winslow. I like him so much because he has such a brilliant name, Octavius. I think I would like to have been called Octavius. Must come from the word octave, which means eight, right, Sarah? Don't know, musical term, eh? Octavius. So I've got a bit of weight behind it, hasn't it? Um, Anyway, that's not the reason I mentioned his name. Um, There's a quote that I want to bring you from this great servant of God. He said this, It is because we have such shallow views of God's love that we have such defective views of God's dealings. We blindly interpret the symbols of his providence because we imperfectly read the engraving of his heart. That's very beautiful. Do you misinterpret God's dealings with you? Maybe the Lord has called something to dry up in your life and it's because he's stirring up your heart to new levels of devotion. It's not because necessarily he is against you, though it can be that the Lord will withhold his blessing because of our pride. But nonetheless, there are times when, for example, with Elijah, the brook dries up because the Lord's leading him on from the place of separation onto the place of refining. May the Lord help all of us, brothers and sisters, to be separate from the ways of this world and from what is apostate, so that we could be those that are refined 
in a day of his judgment. Amen. Lord, we just want to thank you this morning that we've been able to look at your word. We thank you for my brothers and sisters' attention. We ask you that you would spare us from anything out from myself and pardon me from it. Let only that which has been of you be retained in our spirits. We cry out to you, Lord, that you would help us to be separate from all forms of idolatry. Help us not to go along with Ahab, Lord, but to be with you in the brook Cherith and to abide there where you provide the bread of your word and the spirit with the water flowing. Lord, we praise you. And if you cause it at any time that that brook dries up, oh God, we pray that we won't just enter anxiety, but we will be those that are more concerned with the Lord of the blessing and the way he's leading us on from here. So Lord, please move us on, each one of us. If there's anything we're dabbling in that is not of God, separate us from it and help us to abide in your word. Oh Lord, may we be those that you refine and bring on with yourself in the days ahead that we may be fit for glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.